What's going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff? That one was really good. We should always meet at 1 p.m. <laughs> on a random afternoon. I started us in a pretty low key. Yeah, you did? Pretty well, that was helpful. Yeah. <clears throat> that was helpful for me. Um, well, exciting boom, boom, boom. news. Boom. Exciting news uh, today. Today I've, is a today, not terrible day it's not, politically. It's not a terrible day. You know, I'll take it where I can get it. We'll I see can, what happens. We'll see what happens. Um... I mean, it was wild that, because uh, I had Rachel Maddow on last night, and it was like... <laughs> I really can't with her. Manafort, actually. and then Cohen, and then reading the Cohen stuff today was just... I, what's so wild is hearing any... Is hearing any politician be like, well, I guess we'll wait and see. Harriet's here. Hey, Harriet. I'm like, wait and see about what? Harriet, we're just catching up, and then we'll, um... And then it'll be you and... And who else? Jean-Marc Cuisson. And then it'll be you and Jean-Marc. Um, I, I want to do a shout-out to Stormy Daniels. I would love to have her on the podcast. <laughs> she is... Uh, tremendous. It really and a real a courage under fire. Last night as I... Uh, read the wow. news on a train ride. A hideous train ride. And then suddenly... I had a smile on my face. Which news, my which news were you reading at that point? Well, I was reading the Manafort news, which mm-hmm. in, led to the Cohen news, and I was just like, oh, good day. Good yeah. day to you. Yeah. Yeah. What about that um, five of the people who've been under investigation from Mueller have either pled guilty or been found to be guilty? Um, they're all going to be guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, once they can track down those Russian operatives, I mean, it's like, Good luck on that one. There's, we'll, it's we'll just see if they can get It's just all criminals. Them. The whole thing's criminals. Isn't it wild? It was really fun I reading know. about Trump's reactions because they had insiders and like West Wing and stuff being like, his mood got pretty, um, he seemed pretty snappy. Yeah, it is. It's like. I, I did a thing this morning that I like to do where I'll first look at CNN mm. just to like get my blood pumping and then I'll <laughs> get my go head to right Fox up. News. To wow. make my blood boil, or just to like break bring, into a sweat. Bring yes, and I do literally <laughs> just like bring it back down and be like, wait a minute, what? How are they going to spin it? I'm always curious because sometimes I'm like, maybe it's so bad that even on Fox News, they won't be able to spin it. They are, of course. What? Are, how are they spinning it today? They're spinning it by saying that. Um, it's not illegal what Cohen did in terms of paying off those those ladies uh-huh. in uh, as a campaign manager, whatever. But so so they're saying things that I don't fully understand. Okay. So I'm like, I don't know. Okay. And then they'll do things by saying they'll immediately just deflect over to Hillary Clinton. But but she's not president. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's so crazy. Like, and they like to so talk about how pres- the president can't get indicted. We're like, okay. And then they love to talk immediately, just go right back to Hillary Clinton in the server. Right. And Obama, too. Well, he can be impeached, and that's what the impeachment process is for. And what's so crazy to me is how, are they ignoring, like, Bill Clinton and, like, that, when that oh, happened? No, 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 no. I mean, They love to talk about Bill Clinton. They love to talk about Obama. They love to talk about Hillary Clinton. Well, then talking about Bill Clinton would kind of get around to this issue. 
of Donald Trump and an affair and lying about it. They don't seem bothered by that. Okay, so they're they like, really it's don't. okay for him to do it. Right now, is really it's what they not believe. their focus. They're uh-huh. not worried about it. Well, they're just trying, or they're they're worried. They're just acting. Right, they're but just I think at this point, unless they're that delusional, after so long of like him lying, them defending him, him doing bad things, being an indecent person, them defending him, now it's just de rigueur. They're yeah. like, well, we already know he's bad. We know that he does bad things, but. What's the big deal? <laughs> Did you read about how... It really, like, it makes me feel like I'm somewhere else. Well, it's, it like, is... Like, where, what is this place? Mm-hmm. Who are these, how can this... I can't, there are so many questions that it's just, like, white light. It's that more you like just black, see white black light. Hole. It's more like that. It's, it's black hole. definitely just, like, sucked into something right. so dark and endless and corrupt and nightmarish and um and yeah and grotesque did you read about the the if with the repealing of um the EPA uh, stuff that Obama had put into place mm-hmm. that with these coal mines that mm-hmm. around 1,400 oh, children will die a year. <laughs> this, more 1,400 more children will die. Yeah. Uh, Millions more people will have asthma uh, attacks. This, These yeah. are all in the report. Right, right. In the report. Right. And so they're like, let's do it. Let's go ahead with it. I can like that today, I was I know, really, I like, really was happening? like. <laughs> it's like, wait. <laughs> it's like, it's so... I'm so hot just to talking about it and the relentless injustice. It's, um, it makes me feel like anything just is just a blip. I know when these words are like coming out of their stereo or whatever, and they're saying things like that. I'm just like, I'm like literally cross-eyed listening to it. Like how, what's happening? How, what's happening? Extreme corruption by incredibly mediocre um, thugs. I mean, these are, they're just like these, uh, grotesque, uh, greedy, sick, uh, and sick because they seemingly don't care about anyone but themselves. Yeah. Um, people who, with that single-minded focus that perhaps comes with extreme narcissism, were able to get into positions of power. It's all very mind-numbing. It's, uh... At this point. It is... It is intense. I really... Yesterday was good. Mm -hmm. I do... I'm an optimistic person Mm -hmm. by my nature, which I've realized recently, because I'm always like, it'll be okay. You are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're opposite that way. This Trump thing has started to... Corrode at that. Corrode. (laughs) Corrode. Yes. So this yesterday, I was like, it might still be okay. Mm -hmm. It could be okay. Mm-hmm. And now I'm waiting for justice. Right. I am, by my nature, more of a pessimist. I'm, I'm way more sort of like, well, things don't work out. And today I feel semi-worried about having hope, and yet I have a glimmer of, of something, mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. which is more than I've had in a while. I was thinking also, what... What do I want to happen to these people? Imprisonment. I suppose, but also... I don't know. When I read yesterday (laughs) that Paul Manafort had spent 
half a million dollars on landscaping and had an enormous red M made in flowered bushes on his lawn. I immediately was just like, oh, he like read Richie Rich when he was a child. And he like wants to go swimming like Scrooge McDuck in a pool of gold coins. You know what I mean? Like these people are totally deranged, right? Out of their Uh minds. So Uh greedy. But Uh I'm like, what would be the ultimate punishment for them. And I'm not really sure. Maybe like, you know, I don't know. Because I don't think these people will heal psychologically. No, no, I don't. I think that they um, are probably past that. Um, I do think that them being put into some sort of community service work would be good. be interesting. Um, I think it could be helpful. Uh, to have them help people immigrate here and help them learn English. and They won't be able to do that. You know, well, that would be the thing. I'd be like, well, you do that or you go in um, solitary. I bet you they'd be like, kill me. That would be amazing. These people don't they, have, they don't see reason clearly. Right, right. Well, they have certainly lost a some kind of humanity along the way. And that's what this, I think, stirs for us of people who can almost, who feel very sensitive to hurting anyone, to how much space we take up. Um, I mean, I think that it speaks to a sort of larger system um, around what has happened to minorities and how and where and how they feel like they don't want to take up space. That's what's so exciting to me about Stormy Daniels. I mean, it's this woman who I was just looking through her Instagram account uh, on my way here because I didn't even think about her having one. I found she had one, so I went on it. And she had the, these things that are, you know, some are her on uh, porn shoots and then some are these ones that say truth. And it's mm-hmm. a photo of her and it says, um, someone who lies about small details should not be trusted with large ones. And I mean, it was, and it's just her standing there. The, she, you know, the look of knowledge in her face, and then, and then someone wrote, uh, "Truth, you're a porn star" or something like that. But they spelled, like, yes. but they spelled Y O U R a porn star, spell. and she immediately wrote, "Truth, you can't spell." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, her clapbacks on Twitter and uh, Instagram are <laughs> really. True. I mean, I just. Spell. She's really lifted my August depression, I have to say. Oh, there's nice. some well there's something I need about to get into her. Stormy Daniels just being like, you know what? No. And he, she's been daily many, many death threats a day. <laughs> I mean, and she's just and you just get this vibe, at least that she's projecting publicly, who knows what goes on behind closed doors, of try me. There's something so just I don't know, that that it's just real tough and courageous and bold and uh, and coming from a woman who who makes her income in terms of sex work I mean all these things that are are sexual work it's porn it's uh, not it's prostitution sexual but work sexual work <laughs> like you like me quite frankly <laughs> <laughs> exactly and um so I'm just really, I'm just really here for Stormy Daniels. If this, if this is able to get to Stormy at all, Stormy, please, we'd love to have you on the podcast. It would be uh, a honor. She, she, she requires money for. Um, I'm sure. For well, press. maybe someone would um, sponsor 
an a, interview with an, Stormy Daniels. An interview for, we don't make any money from this. Once again, ladies and gentlemen and other, <laughs> we make no money from this. Jeremy does all the detailing in the wee hours of the night of this podcast, makes videos. For this, free. For free. <laughs> <laughs> For that magic number, zero. (laughs) Um, And we're glad that it's able to get to you and hopefully uh, put a pep in your step. Um, Before Jean-Marc gets here, uh, I think the guy who directs Big Little Lies and Sharp Objects is called Jean-Marc. Jean-Marc Vallée. I might be wrong. It could be (laughs) Jean-Paul. But I know it's Jean-something. I really need you to start watching Sharp Objects. Okay. Like, I can't wait for the last it. episode. What it. is your concern about watching it? it? I saw, like, two scenes from it, and it was like, here's what... I'm just going to describe what I remember. Mm-hmm. It was like looking through, like, wavy glass, mm-hmm. and then, like, flashback, mm-hmm. and then, like, suicide. I don't know if that actually happened, but the, I just remember, like, it was really intense and really dream state, and I was yeah. like, I can't do this. Um, but that was what happened in Big Little Eyes all the time. Not really. There was no, like, photographing through wavy glass. It was very, like, this is what's happening. The wavy glass isn't so much, I would say, okay. actually. I'd, I'd say that that might be... That palette's not used a lot. This director clearly does live for a flashback. And right. it, you know what it reminded me of? Um, that Rodarte movie with Kirsten Dunst. I love that movie. What was that called? It was called... I think they're here. Oh, it was called, it was called Woodshock. Woodshock. And here's the thing, I love Kirsten Dunst, but I am going to say I love Amy Adams, I'm obsessed with her. All right, we're taking a break. And then we're coming back. And then we're coming back. Okay, we're here. Hi. We took a, we took a short break so that we could all sit down. Um, Harriet, move in even more. Oh wow! We I have well, one of the closest friends of the podcast back with us, Harriet Jung. Harriet Harriet's appeared and been in and out. She's always laughed on in the background. Uh-huh. Well, I, she is your partner. She's here, so she's, she's frequently the two of you travel on this same broomstick. <laughs> frequently, <laughs> you know, just buzzing up to Justin Peck or downtown to who knows. Exactly. You know, it's really that. And we're also here with jean Mac. Yeah. And the last name? Puissant. Puissant. Jean-Marc Puissant. Did I do it right? Yeah. Very well. Oh, merci. Je parle français un peu. And that's about it. That's but, enough. you know, it'll be really gross and we'll see if it happens on this podcast is sometimes when I buy someone with an accent, I will start to have a French one. Mm-hmm. You could have um, a Greek accent, mm-hmm. but I'll do French. Yeah. Like if, be, if you've ever seen the video of Lindsay Lohan in Greece, same one. <laughs> Literally, I'm not. It's not as hideous as Madonna. Uh-huh. Like Madonna's is takes a whole new level of. Yeah. She always pushes it up. Well, I mean, Lindsay Lohan's was absurd. But it was yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah. Madonna's is like premeditated. It feels right. on purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mine is not on purpose. It's far more like Lindsay Lohan. It's like child star, and then things went bad. You know, like <laughs> drugs. <laughs> well, I know you're a huge, far, uh, huge fan of Isabelle Huppert. Ouais. So of course you should have a French accent just well, to honor her. We, I got to walk around with her for thirty minutes backstage at Bard. You did. Yes, and I had a 
I could, it happened. I saw it, ha- I felt it happening. I couldn't stop it. I would try to sort of stop having a French accent, but <laughs> was it this it was summer? There. This, no, no, she was there. I don't remember when she was there. Maybe she was there to do a discussion about films she'd been in. Her son goes to part. Have mm-hmm. you met her, Jean-Marc? I've never met her. Sadly, I, I've always admired her. Always, she's always been so singular in, in the French uh, cinema landscape. And in, in cinema, period. I mean, I was yeah. just writing about who I think. I was realizing that there are no male actors I'm impressed with. Just Harriet, none. have you seen a movie with Isabelle Huppert? <laughs> Maybe just, not. Just the sound the of the piano band. teacher. Nope. L. Nope. Those were the real giant ones. I would say. Um, Shaka, oh, the I one. heard Huckabees. Here's the thing, though, is in American cinema, she's not, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. She, what she, it doesn't work when she's outside of the French language. I've seen her and when she doesn't, yeah. when she has to speak English, mm-hmm. there's something about navigating the accent that takes her out of this extreme mm-hmm. multidimensional uh, naturalism that she has on camera and that just reads Michelle flat. Art can mm-hmm. function in all languages. Wait, he can. What is he really she can. recently? Was wasn't she? She got an Academy Award nomination for, for L. L. Oh, L. L is so important. It's so good. Also, <laughs> cool, but they did. Also, the same movie that came out that year was the one where her husband breaks up with her and her book doesn't get published. Things oh, yeah. to come. Oh yeah, that was incredible. Amazing. But very quickly, I was like, there aren't any male actors who I've ever seen. I'm like, wow, how did that happen? It just never, I never feel that way. And then, but I do feel that way about actresses. And when I was thinking about it, it was Isabelle Huppert, Nicole Kidman, um, <laughs> Kirsten Dunst a little mm-hmm, bit. Mm-hmm, yeah. And... Um, wait, I had a whole list about it. Anyhow, I'll, I'll, I'll uh-huh. keep... I'll Our keep. podcast should just basically be like Nicole Kidman and things related. That's what it should be called. I mean, it's pretty... It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty real. Wait, who won the Oscar last year? Not Isabella Best Pear. actress. Emma, Emma Stone. No, no. Frances McDormand. No. She, maybe she won for Best Supporting. I don't know. Um, anyhow, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Jean-Marc, tell us why you're here in New York. First we'll, first, we'll do you, and then we'll do you. you why don't... Oh, yeah, tell us why you're in New York. Um, I'm in New York since January, based here uh, f- to do a fellowship at the Center for Ballet and the Arts, which you guys did as well. And so that was a, a very different idea for me, and a kind of new departure. Uh, and I was doing a fellowship on researching an idea, which I had for many years, which was to think of dance and how we produce dance today except the choreography, except the dancing, everything else that's around it. So it's um if you mind- designers are always trying to get rid of the choreography. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, considering how you're treated, it makes sense. Anyhow, go on. Well, the thing is, because I'm an ex-dancer and I'm a designer doing a lot of dance stuff, you know, I think I've got this um, very bipolar vision of actually what we do in the theater. And one day I feel like the guy who's on stage, and one day I feel like the guy who's really not on stage, who's on, on the other side of the stage. Um, but this, this idea is simply to look at... Um, how we produce dance today um, in, in, in the entire context of it. I think it's wonderful that we think very much, of course, about the, what we put on stage itself, the choreography and the dancer, but there's so much more that, that, that goes into it today. And it's, the idea is very simple, is to do maybe 200 interviews 
and it's to go. I like that. It's going to be very simple. Two hundred interviews. <laughs> Just even yeah. hearing that, I was like, "Good night." Yeah. I was. I was thinking about. Do you know how hard it is for Reed and I just to do one interview a week? It's like, well, yeah. it might take you years. It might take years. Actually, there's no there's no time limit on this. Oh, so this isn't just going to happen for just your residency. His residency no. is over. The residency is done. And oh, was, was he there at the same time as you? Uh, we uh, were the semester before. Yeah, just before that. Oh, okay. So the residency was just to look at the project, which at uh, the idea. Okay. And so and and, and those interviews are going to go. It's quite systematic, actually. If you imagine walking in the theater, and you go from stage door to every corridor, every door, and who's there, who does what, how do they do it, and very importantly, how do they collaborate? Um, they so don't. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> the myth of collaboration, as if. As if. All these people, you know, years ago, it was really important to put collaboration in something to get a grant. Well, I think this is interesting. When Jean-Marc said he was a performer, I saw, like, a lot of wheels start turning in your head. Ah, uh, right? it's true. So well, because I, I want to ask those questions. I want Jean-Marc to tell you his, just a brief history of his past. Trajectory. essentially... My trajectory, ah. except much fancier. Oh, okay. Wait well, till here. Because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't in America, I'm guessing. No, yeah. it wasn't in America. I don't think it's fancier. I think it's just it's like a... It's much fancier. It's <laughs> I think you were probably paid. <laughs> Reed wasn't. Yeah, Reed no, I was, wasn't. I was, Reed I was. wasn't paid. So Which that's is the, the, Europe, difference. the Europe difference there. It yeah. is extremely Big different. Big you didn't time. have to like find yeah. knick-knack paddywhack jobs in between things yeah. and live with like 15 people. You're right. Or You're live right. by like JFK. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Shack. Um, so yeah, that's true. I mean, the European aspect of it is very important as well. Um, so French originally. I come from a tiny, tiny village in the Alps, uh, from a non-at-all artistic background. Mm. My parents sell food mm. to skiing resorts and hotels. So it's just really not where we are today. Um, and started ballet completely randomly, very much the Billy Elliot type thing, except. Yeah, in a small village in the Alps, and very slowly made my way to Grenoble, which was the nearest big city, and there I was very lucky to have, again, a state-funded conservatoire uh, with a oh. wonderful teacher. This is all already very much That's fancier. Grenoble, for Grenoble. those of you in America. <laughs> <laughs> and conservatory, for those of you in America. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wait, wait, were you picked on as a child when you were dancing? You mean as a being bullied, yeah, yeah, big time, yeah. Okay, well, that's good. From Jack likes that. From yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I, feel, I, I feel, I feel like you relate. It's not You're that right. I like it. It's just that I'm always, I'm curious when people are outside of the American context, is what that's like. Anyway, oh, right. absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. it's something actually. You know, you it's actually very good to very right, very right to point this out because we we take it for granted and we never think of it. But it's true that from the first year, I would have been six years old. In that tiny village, um, I remember people in the academic school would like take away my hat and my gloves and throw them away in the kind of like snow. in the snow in the in the water. And, <laughs> I mean, it was and that that went on. I remember when I was twelve, my entire class decided to go to. They all went to this kind of um, sea. What they call sea class. I lived in the mountain, um, but they went to the sea to learn sea, how to sail. To learn how to sail, to learn about whatever fish and mm. stuff. Okay. And of course, I decided to stay home to go to ballet. Yeah. And uh, they literally put me in, the, in a quarantine when they came back, which means that no one talked to me once for mm. the rest of the year. 
That sounds I like was. a relief. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I wish people at my school would have done that. Yeah. I wish I would have just been able to be a full ghost witch until I get out of there and been left alone. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. Um, so but still, you know, traumatizing. So there's trauma. Uh-huh. Some well, yes, gay I know. PTSD. Uh-huh. Yes, I know. I so think Jack's like, Grenoble trauma next. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Got it. Got it. And uh-huh. <laughs> more trauma. No, then uh-huh. I moved to Grenoble, which is the nearest big city. Grenoble. Sister uh-huh. Grenoble in France. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, France, yeah. Europe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, France, <laughs> Europe. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. France, Europe. You're fun. <laughs> <laughs> And I moved in with my sister, who was... I love a sister. She was 19 years old. I was mm. 12. And um, and then we I started the conservatory in Grenoble, which mm-hmm. was everyday class. Mm-hmm. And then at 14, I moved to Paris, mm-hmm. uh, France. Yes. And <laughs> Europe. Paris, France, Europe. <laughs> and, um, and that was great, actually. Uh, yeah. uh, the conservatory. Paris is chic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was the 80s. It was chic already, but different kind of chic. Yeah. Not the way it is today. It you was... went to the Paris Opera Ballet School. So first the conservatoire, because I was coming I from the provinces. The What's that? Well, it was actually not so different because it was the same teachers. Mm. Uh, but at the end, you just... Uh, the School of Paris Opera, from the beginning, would let you do an exam at the end to integrate the company like the Royal Ballet School or SAB, mm-hmm. I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, no. SAB, no. They don't have an exam. Or they choose people. They just choose. Yeah. Uh, no. Paris Opera, they choose, but through an exam, so it's like you've got a ranking at the end. Yeah. One, two, yeah. three, four, five. Technique. Te- Quality technique. control. Pretty yeah. 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 yeah, we don't have that. more objective, in a way. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, here it's just, here is just got to think capitalism. So it's like, I'll take that. I don't want that. Mm. Get out. Pass. I like your I want face. that. I like you. I like yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Quick, quick, quick. Fast, right. fast, fast. Not yeah. socialist. I think the, the, the problem with this is that from the school to the company, um, we just see what we see as like the Royal Ballet, for instance, the people from the Royal Ballet School would do some shows with the companies, Royal Ballet or Birmingham mm-hmm. Royal Ballet. So they would do like the Swans or mm-hmm. Nutcracker. So the company, the ballet masters could see how people behave, how they deal with the atmosphere of the company. So it was not just on what you can do at that point, but who you are as a person. As in Paris, it's very separate. So they just look and then you join or you don't join. So it's a very, I think it's a, yeah, it's very much on technique, I think, and less on personality, and, um, mm-hmm. which of course is so important when you join the company sometimes. I think. You know, I recently heard. Did you join the company? No, I didn't do that. <laughs> Can you imagine? He was like, "Oh uh, yeah, I was an étoile." Um, <laughs> no, far I was from an étoile in far Paris, France, Europe. I recently <laughs> heard that when you're in the company, in order to progress through the ranks, you have to do another audition each time. An exam every year. Yeah. Right. So you do another exam, and then yeah. the dancers watch and also have input as to whether or not you will progress. Um, well, the jury that made did not a- happen to Sylvie, Jack, because you know her. No, yeah, no. yeah. Well, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> what she says in that in that documentary, she's like, and then he brought me in downstairs. She's eighteen and or seventeen. I but don't like that. It's different. That your peers. No, she, she had to graduate as well through the ranks of the company because that's the only way you can actually progress. So 
In the jury, you have, of course, the director of the company. You've got a few guests, I think, juries, and you've got some representative of the company. Dancers. So some dancers, yeah. I knew it. So it's <laughs> not what happened to Sylvia. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, and I think that, I think you're marked on two solos. One uh, that is that the whole the whole Everybody category has does, to do, yeah. and, you and then can when choose you make a free up. one. And, yeah, you can make it up if you like, or you mm -hmm. can choose contemporary or classical or whatever For you want to song, do. My song, I'm going to be putting on like a prayer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just move around. Yeah. So the, 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 you've, you go through the ranks with this exam until you are what is essentially a first soloist, premier danseur. And then from premier danseur to étoile, it's then a nomination. God decides. God. <laughs> yeah. God descends mm -hmm. yeah. and names. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, how the Pope gets chosen. Right. That's that right. one, that one, not that one, that yeah. one. Ooh, look at your nail beds, that one. Yeah. Okay, so, all right, so what did happen to you? Uh, what happened to trauma, me? Trauma, uh-huh. Actually, more trauma at oh. Paris Opera. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Not, not a good story. Uh -huh. I, so I finally joined the, comp the, the school from the conservatoire because I won, I won another competition that allowed me to integrate the school for the graduating at year. At this point, it was pretty late for me. I was... 17 and a half, 17 years old, so yeah. Old. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah. Almost over. For Paris Opera, yeah, you're <laughs> done. You're done. I mean, um, so I did join for the last year and a half, two years of the curses, and um, it didn't go down well at all. Um, didn't get on with Claude Bessie um, eventually. Not quite sure what happened to that day, but it happened. And from being very well looked after in the company, got uh, in the school, got completely ignored from one day to the other. Mm. And then, at the end of Which the exam, traumatizing because that's what happened when you were twelve. That was probably that was that was proper trauma. I mean, jokes aside, yeah. And looking back on it, um, because I mean, at this point, it was eighty nine, nineteen eighty nine. And of course, you know, most the culture. of our listeners were not born. You were not born. No, All of you. No. A lot of our listeners was weren't born yet. Before the nineties. Yeah, just, just yeah, before yeah, yeah. the nineties, and it was properly horrible. I mean, yeah. really, really horrible. And um, I think, kind of like, of course, in a way, in a way, it makes you tougher. But I think it also made me never trust anything that is going well because it was going so well, and from. Mm one day to the other it just literally collapsed and I seriously had no idea what it was mm. and um, so that was a horrible experience I hung, I hung down uh, I was hanging on until the end of the year to do the exam to go in the company mm. uh, just because I was there and I may as well do that and of course I didn't get in yeah. uh, no explanations whatsoever uh, the paper was just plastered in the glass of um, after our last performance I mean this was the, this was the way it was it was brutal. So after that, I kind of, you know, uh, I actually s gave up dancing straight away. I uh, no, actually, I, I. It was the the summer, so I went to Stuttgart to audition. Ah. It was my dream company, really. And sadly, they had no contracts available because it was September. Of course, they had given all the contracts to new dancers. So I just thought, you know, instead of just being anywhere, uh, I'm just going to give up dancing. I just don't need to do this. And it, it was so raw after Paris Opera School. So I went to La Sorbonne and I did a little bit of art history and archaeology, which was really great. And I really enjoyed it. And because your hard work was all that mattered, there yeah. was no kind of funky stuff around it of whether you were yeah, designated and chosen mm -hmm. and, and made for it or not, you know. So it was such a relief to think it could just be about what I like and about my hard work.
Mm. So it was really great. I really enjoyed it. And then uh, during this first six months, um, so by now it's, yeah, it's 1990, uh, Frankfurt Ballet came on tour to Paris, to the Châtelet. They had a residency every year, twice a year, and they would do a ton of rap there. Not only what Bill was doing in the neoclassical companies, but also of the completely off the wall. Who's Bill Forsyth? Bill, yeah, William yeah. Forsyth. I was just thinking about him this morning. Were you? I was. I was thinking about. We need to tell our listeners things sometimes. Oh yeah. Because William Forsyth. Google it. Bill. I was thinking about the, how vertiginous I feel in August, and then I was thinking about the vertiginous thrill, thrill of exactitude. Yeah. yeah, and I was thinking about that title, it's and then I was. Title. I, mm. And then I was just thinking about his. A sum of his work that mm. is just the best. Yeah, just the best. Anyhow, okay, so then you see. So I saw the company and I had seen at this point only one piece from him. Of course, it's the very, very well known In the Middle, Somewhat Elevated. Mm -hmm. which the Cherries. With the Cherries, which mm. had been created, what, two years before, three years before Paris Opera. So I'd seen that. 89, I think. I think it's a bit before, I think it's 88, 87 okay. or 88. And, uh, and I thought it was very neoclassical, very much that kind of techno ballet type. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw other stuff, like the full length, which was much more about deconstruction, philosophy, theater, uh, stuff I couldn't even put a name on. And it really, really talked to me. And I thought, well, there's, there's much more than just dance there. There's yeah. everything else I am, which yeah. was what I listened to, you know, at the time I would listen to Depeche Mode, for instance. And I was there, the sound was there with Tom Williams' music, you know, and, and then all the Miyake stuff and was there. And you look kind of like Morrissey in a way. And very Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> you do, do you, I, it's like, I see it. Anyhow, all right, go on. So, so I saw that and, and it was really a kick in the ass and it was in a great way. And the following day, instead of going back to La Sorbonne, I went to do class with them and I forced, literally forced my way through stage door. And, um, and you know, at the time, the company was a very mature company. Mm -hmm. So everybody would be in the late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, very mature dancers who had gone all around the world doing all the other stuff, the classical rap, the neoclassical rap, all the balanchine stuff, and had gone to Bill to do different stuff with. And, um, and this lady came to me and said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'd love to audition. She was like, how old are you? 19 years old, yeah, a bit young. She said, you know, I think you're too young for this company, but there's another company called NDT too. And of course, you know, um, I think you should go and audition there. And so, I mean, this is how also saying that this is pre-internet, pre, to get a video was really hard. So it was even hard to know what, what was happening in Den Haag, which is not far mm -hmm. from Paris. Mm. I didn't quite know what NDT two was about. So I went back for the second day to get that number from her and on that day at the end I did class again and at the end of that day um, this guy came to me and said uh, what are you doing here I said well I would love to audition but I'm too young so uh, they keep telling me to leave but yeah. I'm still auditioning <laughs> I'm still here exactly <laughs> <coughs> and so and uh, what sign are you? I'm a Libra mm. strange okay <laughs> <laughs> right. it's pretty bossy Libra but anyhow go on um and I said, yeah, I'm too young for, for this company, but I'm waiting to hear about NDT2. And he said, well, I'm William Forsyth, so I can tell you if you're too young or not too young for this company. So that was, I didn't know who he was and uh, physically. So we had a little chat and he said, you know, um, we don't just do stuff like in the middle here. I said, well, I'm aware of that. I've seen the rest of, of the shows here and I really enjoy them. So he, he was very, very friendly and he asked the dancer to show me two solos that day. 
Uh, one was very neoclassical, one was completely not neoclassical, very contemporary, very fluid, very much about almost, it wasn't improv as such, because there was a choreography, but you had to make your own choices with the material, which was very new. And so I learned this to, during the day, and then in the evening he kind of auditioned me. It was very stressful. It was super stressful, <laughs> but also very exciting because he was so friendly and so playful. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, a side of dance I'd never imagined before. Yeah. Um, so that happened on the stage of the Châtelet as well, which added kind of like the something really out of body and very different. And he said, you know what, yeah, really enjoy this. Come to Frankfurt, spend some time with us and, um, and see how you feel and we'll look at you. And so I went uh, the following January and it was great. They were doing some existing rap like Artifact um, and lots of other stuff and they were creating this amazing um, full length called Limbs Theorem which was very beautiful and very complex again and so it was wonderful so I stayed for about two three weeks there doing class and I didn't see much of him because he was creating this new piece and I was only going to the one like artifact the, the existing rap and I think in the end it became very clear to me that I wasn't ready for this for sure and not so much on the technical basis, but I think on a intellectual basis, actually. It required something which was very advanced in how you approach not only what you do, but your place in the company mm. and how you relate to new material and how you contribute to stuff. Mm. And it's something I had never, not only done, but never even seen in well, the realm. there's an element of theater and, and real mm. acting, yeah. it seems, in a lot of Bill's work. And that requires yeah. an emotive response to how the choreography is getting built. Yeah. Yeah, and so a young dancer, it would be difficult. It would be difficult. Very difficult. And again, I think it's also to come back to this time where you know you couldn't learn by yourself by watching stuff online right. or research or understand. <laughs> I mean, you would grasp on tiny details that you would see in an article somewhere, and that would be it. Right. And then you know I would have heard of all the works he's made before that was very important for him, but you couldn't see any of it, not even a photo. So you couldn't really actually learn by yourself at the time. Um, so that was fine, it was an amazing experience. It marked me, I think, forever. And after that, I decided to still dance, which was, you know, a good choice, I think. And I went. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true European. Good choice. Right? Which was a good choice, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, why is it European? Uh, it has a quality of. Um, well, it also makes me think of like how the French, I don't think you're blasé, but it reminds me of how the French invented blasé. <laughs> I mean, just a sort of matter of factness around things mm. that lacks a certain amount of hysteria, uh, emotional narrative that mm. I feel Americans place on top of whatever mm. they're going through. Mm. It's just, it's just a different way of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to do it like an American? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I spent two weeks, and I was yeah, exactly. working with Billy Forsyth, which yeah. was incredible. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then I sadly didn't get taken to the company, but I was so inspired that I, I decided yeah. to keep dancing. Yeah. And he changed my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. We, America is incredible at hyperbole, yeah. and we, in fact, I, I think, uh, yeah, we we really got I it. I don't have that at all, though. You no. don't. I know. You, you really it's don't. More like that. Mm. You're more like that. Um, you're so down to her. There's a, there's. Well, I'm well. just like this happened. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, no. it's, it's, it is. It's a different. It's a different thing. You see things for what they are. From the little I, I know about I think you, so it's yeah. Really, yeah. Really is it the Korean culture? Probably part? somewhat. Yeah. Well, I don't. But it's. It, I think. Mm. At, but there's many ways in ways things are. I think mm. so. I don't know. I'd mm. say. I'd say it's. It's more like there's. It's choice on what you want to focus on, mm. and that. Yeah. You get you and P and we all get to decide that. I guess you're right. I think in, at that time, particularly, you know, Paris Opera School had been so traumatic. I mean, I don't want to overplay it because why not? Well, you and know, I also don't think that I don't think it's overplaying something to to talk about mm. systemic cultures of abuse. Mm. I don't th I don't yeah. think that that's an overplay. In fact, yeah. that we're currently in a time where we're waking up to mm. how prevalent that is. I mean, it's no True. secret that True. you know the Paris Opera Ballet School has like a history of abuse in terms mm. of like how it treats mm. its students. Mm. Even just hearing an, on another podcast from this principal dancer in. San Francisco Ballet, Mathilde. Yeah, yeah, of She was saying how even in her time there, right. they would, teachers would come up to students through the dining hall and take their dinner away, or like replace it with something else. Yeah. And this has all yeah. been kind of, you know, like the cliches of the ballet <laughs> world. And I think... That's true. And Sure. Yes. And I think... He's I, confirming. And I think the thing that's... I didn't see that, but I can imagine. But yeah. I think, <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. I mean, we're in this time of... Peter Martins did these things. Mm. They are truly abhorrent, mm. period. Mm. There isn't another, mm. that doesn't have another story on it. I mean, uh, first of all, I think it's very important to say that things have changed drastically with the school. Yes, and she said this much too. You know, I think it's literally a different place now uh, with, with very different individuals, very different mind to it. I think it was a time when you know, I don't think it was just School of Paris Opera. I think the, the it was culture everywhere. of dance at the time was tough, you know. It's and still the culture of dance. Mm -hmm. That, it hasn't changed. It mm -hmm. is changing. Mm -hmm. But it, it, there, when you put people in positions of power, mm -hmm. watch out. Yeah. So I, when I did finally, you know, leave and then come back to dancing, and I felt there was very much what you were saying earlier, which is the sh a choice. Like, at, the, at that time in my life, I didn't have to dance, and mm -hmm. I was very excited about studying and whatever it was, and looking at life in a different, from a different angle, different perspective. And it was very much a choice to say, you know what, I'm 20, I'm gonna dance. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a matter-of-fact way actually of, of going, going at it. Um, it was actually really difficult to find a company because of course after seeing what Bill was doing and seeing how exciting it was, it was really hard to look at people's rap and just think, you know, yeah, that's something I really want to invest my life in. Um, but uh, I joined Birmingham Royal Ballet, which was, uh, before it was called Sadler's Wells Royal mm. Ballet, so it so was one of the companies of the Royal Ballet uh, Covent Garden in, in England at the time. And it was amazing actually because it's something I'd never quite heard of to be quite frank their rep which was the Ashton and the Macmillan and Ashton. you know and David Bintley and uh, Tudor and all this which is now ballet history of the 20th century which I didn't quite know in Paris Opera we didn't do this we had Nureyev and we had Lifar and we had mm -hmm. another fantastic type of rep mm -hmm. much more contemporary stuff like yeah, yeah. Cunningham and all this uh, but um, I think Joining a company in England was amazing, and it did to me, I mean, bring an idea of, of, of a culture of ballet which which I could have never 
dreamt of, you know, in any other place. And the director of the company was a guy called Peter Wright, who did himself some fantastic productions of the classics, very traditional, but they were very, um, very true to the story. There was no, there was no BS about it. It was, they made sense. And for ballet, it wasn't La La Land. It was actually really very dignified and very beautiful. Design played a great part in them always. Uh, I remember the first thing we did new in Birmingham was Nutcracker uh, with this amazing designer called uh, John McFarlane, who is a painter as well, and he's an incredible Sounds designer. You probably would have seen stuff by him. I you think worked you told me about him. I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> facts are facts. Yeah, you worked a lot for Killian as well before, and so BRB was very designer orientated, which of course later on in my life became an important factor. Um, so I was there for about four and a half years, and then I left. I went to Stuttgart Ballet, which really was the dream come true. I think uh, was because the people were amazing. Marcia Heyday was director, and there were Richard Cragen was soul dancing, and Birgit Kyle was around. Uh, Egon Matz and all the these amazing people, and then the much younger generation were were, were incredible. Um, and it's the company where Bill Forsyth came from. Did uh, you have to learn German? I sadly no, and she because didn't do it. no, because we, there was twenty one nationalities in the company, so everybody spoke everything, and um, so sadly uh, only a few words. But that's a big regret. R regret now is just to regret. They will go for regret. Yeah, it's a big regret because it's. I think it's a fantastic. The little I know, it's a fantastic language. So that would have been. A it's great fine. <laughs> you speak German? No, no. Oh, I was just saying. It's fine. I mean, I love it in a Fassbender film. Okay, so and then you were Stuttgart for. Stuttgart for about three to four years, I uh -huh. think, and then I went back to London mm -hmm. um, to do this design course, which was uh, very. At this point, were you like, I'm hanging up my ballet shoes? Because you're to do approaching this thirty at this yeah, point. Yeah, so I'm twenty seven, twenty eight. Uh -huh. Like my ankles are clicking. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well. There was first I had like a massive knee injury with the cruciate ligament, yeah, yeah. which was your anterior anterior cruciate ligament. Anterior. Really quite surprising. Came out of nowhere, mm -hmm. uh, as they tend to be. Yeah, properly an accident, and and that happened at the time when Marcia was resigning and leaving the company, and Reed Anderson came in, and um, so that was a weird time to be injured. Um, and when I came back to the company after my rehab and all this, my operation. It was a very different place. Um, there was another massively traumatic time for me where I felt like with Reed there was no communication. Although before I left, uh, not you Reed, the other Reed. I mean, same. <laughs> where Reed wasn't picking up the phone as she is wont to do. <laughs> like you would always, if you ever call Reed, you can always picture her looking at the phone and Saying no. probably letting it go through. <laughs> it's a fact. Same. It's a fact. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, so so that you were experiencing injury. You were like, okay, okay, and then you went you went to this design Science. course. Yeah. Course, so around I the same time as Reed went to SIT, twenty eight. Twenty eight. Yeah. And your Saturn return, the time to really be like, what That's do I it. really what want? What I really want to do. Well, yeah. for the next fifteen years, anyway. Yeah. Well, that was um, incredible because 
actually didn't mm, quite. Incredible. That's one of our favorite, favorite words word to is say. It? Yeah. Incredible is the secret word. There you go. It truly was. I mean, because it's, I think it's something I did just to have a, a try, really. It's not like a calling I had or I felt or, uh, no, I, I, I never drew before. I never was interested so much in what things look like. I guess that's still true today. I care about what they do. <laughs> and then later on, what they look like. Um, but it was, I, I met in Stuttgart in the last year and a half, a team that came to do an opera. Um, and I met them at a dinner one night and they were very, very interesting. And it made me just suddenly shift my brain and think, wow, it would be really exciting to actually be more, you know, in the conception of the work more, more than just like uh, performing it. Um, and so they recommended that course in London, which I went to apply for and by miracle got in because they only take 10 or 11 people that year. And that was a wonderful course to do called the Motley Theatre Design Course. Um, get into it. <laughs> get into it. It's, it's sadly closed now. Oh, it, never mind. It was Don't the, get into it. <laughs> Sorry. Do not apply. Was do it was 40 years, but it was, it was fantastic and it was very hands-on. Um, there was no teaching as, uh, as such. It was more tutoring and straight away you would be paired with directors, professional directors, on a one-to-one -one basis. So there was no theoretical uh, teaching. It was all practice-based. And that was pretty wild, you know, from being a dancer, literally two or three months before. And were they like, here's a sewing machine, figure it out? Yeah, not even, <laughs> not even, nothing was actually made. It was literally how you design stuff. So it was the model, uh, make the model for the set. A real education. Yeah. <laughs> and Wait, this was a school you applied to, yeah. got accepted, yeah. and it was like a pro, how long was the program? One year. Just one year? Just one year. Six projects, uh, five plays, and one opera. And from the first project, you were paired. Actually, with the, director. the first project was actually paired with a designer who would act as a director, and then straight away with a theater director and some pretty heavyweights as well. Some people who were really, I mean, Robert Wilson, <laughs> well, um, Mike, Mike Lee, you know, would oh, come. Yeah. yeah, he was very close oh, to the I course. I love Mike and we're Lee. serious stuff. Were they encouraging you to develop the technical skills in your own way, or were they like explaining to you? how to draw, how one renders a set, no. No, you had only a few technical stuff a year. You had a very good model maker, model making teacher that came twice a week maybe. And then we had a lady who taught us the cut of period costume. It was really amdram in a way. It was down in the basement watching slides and then cutting muslin. Cut muslin. It was kind of mad. Um, it sounds brilliant. Wild. <laughs> well, it sounds oh, yeah. well, I mean, I, like, like also that there's no draft course or, no. you know, I mean, no. in terms of, yeah, if you have to render sketches and say, well, you know, no. inch they per foot, etc. Developing very fancy designers who would just step out of school and be like, "Do it." Yeah, well, a little yeah. bit. But I yeah, yeah. have ideas. Yeah, yeah. But what 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 was amazing is that so they would constitute the group uh -huh. according to what skills people would bring to the rest of the group. So we had this. Amazing I like to talk. Yeah. <laughs> I like to tell people what to do, and then they make it. Because then we would bridge those gaps that were not there taught to us. So for instance, there would be this um, my year. There was a marrying 
thing, the, this American guy from NYU called Michael Burns, who was an incredible draftsman, mm. an incredible model maker. And so we would go to Michael and say, how do you do this? And he would say, well, this is the way you do it. And then some, you know, so everybody kind of brought in some different skills. This is fun. Community-based really, learning. Yeah. And, you know, it's very much what you do in theater later on in your actual professional life, I think. You, know, you gather new skills and, mm-hmm. and you go to mm-hmm. places and to get the knowledge or to get the resources or to get the solutions. So it was a good way to, again, to think about collaboration as well. Um, wow. the, the course was amazing, uh, one year. And then uh, I did for like a year and a half a lot of French stuff, which was so great. Because um, you had weird friends in London. No? Not enough. Not enough. I think it was, again, it was just the beginning of getting online and all this. So it's really hard to, it was hard to make contact, I think. Mm. So I knew, in a way, you know, I think people used to think that my dancing career made me be in touch with people. It wasn't the case. Uh, The people I knew were at the top of their tree, you know, of the dance industry. They didn't want to work with a young graduate, new designer who had never worked before. So that was kind of like void, did nothing for me. Uh, But I did meet some young uh, directors and some young designers and some young producers. And we did some, I mean, like everyone did, like some tiny, tiny stuff for like 20 pounds budget. Right. Yeah. Fringe. Fringe. Yeah. Low budge. No budge. Yeah. No budge. No fee. Low budge. No budge. That magical number zero. Yeah. Um, But it was cool. I mean, really. And what was your first dance job? Dance design job. Dance design. Design for dance. Design for dance. Um, I honestly something I didn't want to do. I I stopped dancing very much to go away from it. I think it was a time when I was really done with that world and it came back um, a bit as a curveball to start with and well you know all this French stuff I I literally couldn't pay for even a room anywhere so when dance came it was really welcome financially and the first thing I think um, I'm trying to think um, I think Marcia Heide called me they were doing her Sleeping Beauty in Turkey and they couldn't use the fantastic design by Jürgen Hauser, who's this very, very famous German designer. Um, and so she wanted to recreate something based on his design. Why uh, couldn't they use that? Yeah. Because of copyrights and because they were so expensive to be remade. I can't pay to have this done again, so can you kind of riff on it? It, it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it was a little bit that. Of course, I did Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I didn't want to uh, quite go there, so yeah, we, kept, we kept the, f- the floor plan mm-hmm. of this, the, the footprint of it. But it was very different, also because the budget was so different. I mean, the Jürgen Hose productions are lavish and stunning, and so we couldn't go there. So it was a very interesting thing. Do you remember, did she say those words? Like, th- let's riff on this existing, on these existing N- designs. No, actually, oh, she no, 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 she didn't. Um, because she said, you know, we don't need to just repeat the thing, and you know, Jürgen does his stuff. And it was very much to kind of do something that where the production would work with, because she didn't want to re-choreograph it, so it had the entrances had to be in the mm-hmm. same places, it had to be the same volumes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, to do no, no, she left me carte blanche, oh, okay. really. Um, but it had to be, which is a very interesting exercise actually, which is to redesign something 
that already exists, mm -hmm. and but to make it new and then respect what it what it actually is. It's a it's a very interesting. Exercise. Instead of that rock, I'm going to put water. Instead of that tree, I'm going to put a, yeah. just yeah. a big cone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, who is your who Who is a choreographer who you've loved working for? Mm. <laughs> it's I've heard no. I worked with several people, and I think the true answer is actually all of them at some point. Oh, um, at some point. At some yes. point. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I think you know you, especially when I think it's a real luxury to have an ongoing relationship with with people uh, because for so many reasons. Who do you work with now? Who do I work with now? I work. Christopher Wielden. Right. Uh, there's been a lot of collaboration with him. Uh, I worked. Who do, who do I work with right now? Um, I worked a lot with a, a director called Lee Blakely, who sadly passed away last summer. And we did a lot of opera and musicals together. Um, I worked with a choreographer called Kathy Marston, who is British, and um, we worked together twice, many many years ago. And we're doing a new piece together in Cuba right now, which is fun. Um, and new stuff. I worked um, with uh, some contemporary choreographers as well. Um, Carol Armitage I did a piece with, which was very interesting. Uh, I worked with a, a guy called Javier de Frutos, who is Venezuelan, uh, but lived a lot and worked a lot in the UK, did a lot of work together. Um, um, Do you have a preference it? between dance, theater, and opera? Who directed this beautiful Man and Butterfly you just did? Lee Blakely. Oh, mm. so Lee where Blakely. did the production come from somewhere else? We premiered it in 2010 in Santa Fe, and then it went to LA, and then this year was a revival. So the revival was planned already before um, Lee passed away last summer. And you do set design? Set and costumes, and but costumes. on Butterfly only the set. Okay. Uh, the it was beautiful. A really special and amazing. Yeah. He's like, I agree. No, it's true. <laughs> uh, I, I was about to say um, the costumes were amazing um, by Brigitte Riefenstuhl. And you know, when you premiere a work, it's what it is. It's very hard to actually, for me, to have an opinion about it. And to see it eight years later, and especially with Lee, you know, not being there, and you have a, a distance with the work. Um, and and I was so impressed by the choices we made eight eight years ago and how we how we developed them and you know don't say that about all of my shows from you know by far but look if you make something good I think it's great to say that was really good because I think frequently I I think artists deride their work mm. or I'm certainly I feel like critic of my work mm. and a really sharp critic mm. of my work and I think it's what helps push the work forward. Yeah. You two, I'm looking at Harriet and Reed certainly are as well. I mean incredibly critical of your work mm -hmm. and it pushes the work forward. So if you are able to get anything out that you can be happy with, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is cause for celebration. But, but I think it's particularly again in that great luxury of having revivals mm. and, and having a chance to work on them more and look back and, look back mm. and to understand. I mean 2010 I would have never said that. Right. I would have been so critical and yeah, all, yeah. only aware of what we didn't achieve or doubting yeah. or seeing it through other people's eyes yeah. and when you come back to it and also because it's a different set of performers as well so it's the third reading we see of yeah. our interpretation of the, of the show and you finally look at this and it's actually it's so far from you uh, from your original intention and it's become its thing and it's really it was wonderful and um, also because it's a very simple 
show. It's a very simple idea. My set is this so simple. It's period, but it's minimal at the same time. And uh, yeah, it was, and also because it's open air in Santa Fe, so you've got that other dimension. I only saw the photos on Instagram, but it looked beautiful. Was it hot? I didn't get to see it. Uh, in the, the evening is actually quite cool. Okay. But yeah. The desert. Yeah. You know? Yeah, very cool, and it was beautiful. On opening night, the sunset was to die for. I mean, all that adds to it. And we had two casts this year uh, of principals, both equally amazing as well. And that was really great time. And and again, Lee being gone, you know, it's uh, I don't know. There was a whole dimension to it, which was not easy to deal with, no. but uh, very intense and beautiful. And, was cool. Are you feeling good about your design practice and projects you have coming up? Or are you having doubts? <laughs> mm, um, no, I feel great about it. I mean, this year in New York was really nice because, again, it, it's that distance from your everyday life and the people you usually collaborate or work with. So it's just a, a bit of a change in this as well and a very different perception of the whole story that's happening. So it's, I feel good about it now. It's um, some very different things coming up. Like what? Um, if you can say. No, no. Some new collaborations. Uh, when, we ha when we hang up, you can whisper it in my ear in French. Um, oui. Which is oui. nice. Um, and also this thing with the product, with the project with NYU uh, which might become a book. So that I'm very excited about because I think it's uh, something I never thought I would engage with. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, yeah, it's very exciting. Very exciting. I'd like to... Also, I kind of like discovered that collaboration is something I really care about, and not because of the, there's a recipe for it, far from it. There really is not. Precisely because there isn't, and I think it's just to talk about it, to encourage it, to remind people, to remind myself, and I think it's something by having this um, very strange path that I've become aware of, it's quite simply. Well, the collaboration, I mean, I like Tony Krishner wrote, you know, he has that thing about the myth of the artist as a solo. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's in the preface or something around Angels in America of how mm -hmm. the work got, got built with these actors. And I mean, it's the, it, but it goes both ways. I think people have this myth around collaboration as just this real community. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's just this interchange of ideas, et cetera. Um, I experienced this as a professor when students are like, well, we're all just going to make it together. And it's Good like, mm, no, there needs to be yeah. people. The point of having these roles is mm -hmm. so that people know. And of course, there's going to be exchange of ideas mm -hmm. through this as you go towards the piece, which mm -hmm. is the most important thing. No one is the most important. The piece is the most important. Absolutely. Um, uh, but it's it, both ways. What is yeah. between theater, opera, and dance? Mm -hmm. Do you have a preference for design? Obviously, the budget in opera is the largest, generally. Is that true? It can be, but not necessarily. Hmm. And I think it's. Um, I can't. You know, it's like having three children and, and saying the one you like or you love the most is they're so different. The processes are different. The timelines are very different. The people you end up working with how set is very different for dance there's generally it's hard to have a set for dance especially yeah. if it wants to tour yeah 
but it forces you to think in different ways, you know. Right. And I think it's I like that it's um, it's like having three different types of canvases, mm-hmm. and scale and genre, and and it's it, every time it's it's quite exciting. There's there's different things I like at different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that opera because you start to be commissioned so far ahead, yeah. sometimes two and a half to three years. It's really hard to engage yourself or to mm-hmm. engage with your with your collaborators soon enough because everybody's so busy still with other yeah, projects. Yeah. The same time yeah. uh, theater is the opposite sometimes you have a, a month and a half yeah. to get it all out and that's quite stressful dance is a little bit in the middle um, I, I like I really like both uh, all, all three actually and I think it's I always learn something from every processes I'm in and surfer and, <laughs> and <laughs> what is, what pleasure you, what's and your dream job in the next five years my dream job uh, design wise well, I don't know. Oh, um, maybe you're all of a sudden <laughs> going to be like, I want to be an actress. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be Isabelle Huppert. I mean, um, well, it's, it's interesting actually because since I came here in January, which kind of took me out of what I've been for the last 15 years, really, I suddenly realized, well, maybe there's other things out there as well. So uh, definitely being here has renewed my love for design and understanding as well that after like 15 years in this profession, I've never felt more confident about collaborating with people and and creating stuff and really excited about it. Uh, so that's wonderful. So I'd love to do more. I'd I'd like to do more theater actually right now, and because there's some lovely things you know in opera and in, in dance. I think also because I'm trained as a the Motley Theatre Design course was very much about the text mm. and it was really text-based. It was yeah. never about concepts or about looks or about fashions. Or It was really about what's on the page and who are these people supporting the text and supporting mm. the performer. That's all we were asked to do and encouraged to do for a year. So I want to go back to that. And I realized that in a way, bizarrely, I've done a career so far without applying what I'm actually trained to do. And I'd love to do a play. So that's, you know, something I want to go back to. I simply want to do more opera mm. and more story ballets as well. Mm. It's, I've done a lot of kind of abstract stuff, uh, neoclassical and contemporary. And I think it's story ballets is, is a huge challenge. It freaks me out a little bit. I find it problematic a lot of the time. But I think it's really where I want to be because I find that's where we all we are all put to the test, whether it's the choreographers, the designers, uh, the producers, my God, the performers as well. So that's something I'm keen to look into. And then also I'd love to start to program work and commission people and um, because I find that the dancer, the designer, have another meeting, another incarnation in a way, and that is to encourage and to program people around me. And I see a lot of work that really excites me, and um, and I'd like to show it and program it. And so that's something that's new. I never thought would be there. And well, curating can be. I've enjoyed it. I yeah. mean, it means to take care of. So yeah, in yeah, a way, yeah. you get to be a lot of maybe what you didn't have. Exactly. And, and not to have to be, in a way, creative myself, right. not putting the stuff out, but just really nurture what's out there and, uh, and make people, encourage people to go outside of their own comfort, comfort zone. Cool. Um, so that's, that would be nice. 
I want to I want to get into we keep bringing up the word the term collaboration. Mm-hmm. I want you to describe and talk about what a successful collaboration was or is mm-hmm. or what you think that means. Mm-hmm. Has it happened? <clears throat> Oh yeah, and can you describe that process? Yeah, yeah, it's happened, and, that's, and I think that's why I became aware of it because I think it's something <clears throat> that we never, we were never taught about that much. Um, and I think what is successful, uh, there is definitely no recipe. So what's important about it is to keep it in mind. It's like a practice, and it's um, not to know what you have to do. But you know that you have to do it, and you have to find your, you have to find a way. So, what is good, I think, is to be able to talk with your collaborators. And I know it sounds basic, but it's so not. And and that means that you need to then find a way to talk to people, and everybody would have a different way to express themselves, and 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 understand things differently. And so, to redefine that language, literally find the words is important. Um, collaboration. Um, I don't know, I can't even think of it right now. It's it's just to every sh- show I do, I I just put it at the center of what I do. Also is to not be territorial for me. And I, again, You're that good at that. Pardon? You're good at that. I'm good at that. We got to witness you being good at that. Good at what? Not being Letting go. Ter- yeah, he mm. really can let Allowing. go. Allowing. Mm-hmm. I think mm. I think it's it's a clear um, understanding that contribution makes things richer. At least for me, I, I know that my vision alone uh, or my uh, decisions alone are what they are, and they're informed, and there are there's a point to them, and I'm entitled for to have them. But it's always been better when someone came in and said something or. Uh, it changed it, um, but it's always made it richer, and it's made me work harder, and it's made me ask questions about something that felt natural to me, and or it's made me reaffirm actually my positions as well and stick with them. So it's something I always welcome, uh, but also because I've been lucky to meet people that I think have a great opinion, and it's not always the case. I think there are some. Um, individuals that you know might be distracting but I've been very lucky to meet people who are really very informed distracting is a really good word for it that's a great word mm-hmm. for what some people can be because well at least what I take from that is it is it distracts from if the if the highest aim is mm. the work mm. is the, the piece mm. Meaning that it's not the choreographer, the dancers, the designers, that none of those are what's the most important but the piece. Mm-hmm. There are some artists who distract from that mm-hmm. with their yeah. own Agendas. agenda, yeah. which is an unfortunate short-sightedness mm-hmm. that I would say generally comes mm-hmm. out of a kind of a lack of maturity and a narcissism. Right. Yeah, I th- but and I, egotism. I think it's also a matter of education. I think you know, um, like in London. So I did this course, Motley, which was all about collaboration, all about not being territorial. Uh, you know, on the first day at Motley, they would sit you down and say, "Remember, we, by, in essence, we don't really need design to do a great show. It helps, but we've done, we've seen some fantastic shows in the black box with a bulb." 
And so it helps, but we don't really need it by But essence. to me, that's design. That is design, exactly. Yeah. But so. it's not decoration. So, you know, right. it's yeah. invisible. So some designers would come there and say, I've done nothing, or I can't see my work, or I'm not really contributing. There was another course in London, remain, remaining nameless, who, and some people did that at the same time, and they were told, you know, you've got to fight for your ideas, it's your design, you've got to be territorial, in other words. And I kept thinking, wow, I wonder which one actually is more valid. And it's interesting because out of those two things, you know, the people who are working today are people coming from that type of course, like Motley. Oh, your course. And the other ones, not really. Mm. Um, but you did tell me a story once of someone, a very territorial costume designer, mm -hmm. and I think you were working on sets, or was that the other way around? Yes. And they put up a big stink about any kind of changes anybody yes. wanted, yeah. and they ended up getting a lot of respect, or they, they got their, their dreams. That work, yeah. You're right. They got their dreams. That can work too. I think it's, I mean, this particular person is still a very talented uh, designer. So, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that was a different style. It's true. But I mean, I, but that's, it, I mean, that is sort of its own thing. There are plenty of um, directors who fully, who are, mm. who do, are very famous and are incredibly um, dull. Mm. and mediocre mm. but they have a very loud bark and mm. uh, they play to the middle yeah and I mean so it's I mean I don't think that that has anything to do with artistry that's just about business a lot of things work you know at the end of the day if, like, if you look at the way for instance um, like German opera it's lots of very big strong ideas and in a context that works and then you look at the way the British perform uh, produce opera and it's very different the dramaturgy is very different the concerns of the culture is very different that works too I'm not saying that, th that things don't work just saying they don't interest me and um, usually yeah. they don't interest me and that's why I think it's very important and maybe they don't interest me because I don't come from that culture um, so the culture that really influenced me as a designer and I guess as a, as a dancer as well is very much the British mind which is that you know you collaborate well this is a bit of very specific British mind because you said there was a different design school happening at the same time in London that's right. right that's right so and that's in a right. way this feels mm. I mean what's interesting in terms of mm. not to sum up the podcast but in terms of hearing about two incredibly traumatic times where you were shut out and not spoken to. Mm. What's interesting to me is instead of going with that mm. and deciding to reenact that on people later in your life, you chose to be what you didn't have, mm. which was to communicate. Mm. I mean, Harry, in terms of your question, I mean, in, mm. what, what I heard was to talk to them, mm. to talk, to communicate. Yeah. And I think that is very special. It's very special and it's, it, you know, it's, it's happened to my peers at the time. If you look at what Paris Opera is about today is a very different story. People are speaking up, and it's true, of course, everywhere, you know, with the Me Too movement, etc. I think it's happening around, not enough, not by definition, not as a given, but things are definitely moving on. And we are all coming from a culture that we don't want to reproduce, that's for sure. Yeah. And to keep the best and to leave the rest. And um, I'm, I'm just amazed that we are seeing that happening today. We are seeing that day happening and that culture changing we have to fight we have to talk about it we have to encourage the right way that we think what we think is the right way again that might be redefined in 10 to 15 years time but for now i think it's an improvement completely you know it's to kind of think 
think for ourselves and um, and, 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 and encourage others to come in the, the, the discussion again. I thought that I was an optimist before I met Jean-Marc. Do you know what I, I do? Yeah. I do, and, and it's really... Yeah. You should re-revive uh, the design course you took in London, and we'll come oh. take it. Well, and wonderful. that would be amazing. I mean, this, the people who were running it were literally there as... Uh, Humanitarians, you know, there was no, there was no budget, there was basically no remuneration for it. It was there were the only way you could uh, teach on the Motley Theatre Design course is if you had been a practicing designer at least in the last three years to make it current, to make it relevant. So it's these people the opposite of our school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where you guys went? Yeah. Yeah. They're like, have you not worked for fifty years? You're well, hired. Amazing. So I mean, these people. I mean, I don't know how they did it. They were having incredible international careers and they were running that course with no money no support because they care about the form I mean I I teach because I want the thing to get better and to Mm. go forward and I am I am absolutely Mm. afraid of it going Mm. backwards because I've watched it so Mm. if I don't it's part of it is a thing of giving Mm. trying to give away of Mm. oneself So that the whole thing can be better. It is. It is. Um, This week we got a strange, it wasn't strange actually, it was very typical email from an organization asking us to design, in quotations, costumes. This is going to segue into what may become an addendum to the podcast or the part where Harriet and I are going to, this is going to be tips for people who are looking for costume designers or who want to better understand what is involved in hiring costume designers. Okay, so this is an experience that happened to us last week. So then this is very typical. So we get an email from an organization and they say, (laughs) would you consider designing costumes for a piece by so-and-so? They have a lot of specific ideas already. And in the introduction to this email, they said they did say it's probably more of a production job. So then you're like, okay, well, we're not going to do that, but Mm -hmm. there's no reason to be rude to these people we've worked with them before. Mm -hmm. So in writing back, generally I would just say, oh, thanks for reaching out. Please contact uh, like a wardrobe supervisor or some, a tailor or people who produce costumes, which there's a misconception about the difference between a designer and a maker. maker. Mm -hmm. So both are equally important. But they're very different jobs. Mm -hmm. So, but this time, the part of the email where it described the costumes that the choreographer wanted the dancers to wear, I found so backwards and so strange that I, I put an addendum on my email and I said, I have some thoughts to share if you don't mind. You don't have to listen to me. However... (laughs) you have to think harder about what you're allowing your dancers to wear. And I was like, this is not to say, I mean, I can't really go into specifics about this email, but I felt compelled to really like try to like teach a lesson. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't that read because you read me the email and it didn't feel like trying to teach a lesson. It was dramaturgical and where you were coming from in terms of, I'm also gonna try and speak about this vaguely, it was dramaturgical in terms of coming from dance history mm-hmm. up to where we are now, as well as what this particular organization 
could represent in terms of the form of dance mm -hmm. going forward. Right. There are certain choices that are clearly being made around this particular piece that um, around certain gender normativity uh, that's certainly virgin to misogyny. And it's just mm -hmm. difficult mm -hmm. to swallow that mm -hmm. pill at this time anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just too much. Yeah. Like, I think for, for artists to have hit their saturation point with long-standing views of misogyny, which then go into homophobia. Once you start mm. getting into misogyny, then you're in femphobia, then you're in homophobia, mm. and then you can get into, like, class warfare, and then you can get into just race, the whole thing. And I think for artists to be over that and to be overtaking it is important because culture puts the culture forward right. and culture can take the culture back. Oh, yeah. And I think there's definitely a culture, especially inside of dance, and I can't speak for theater or opera, where the choreographer feels that they're entitled with the right to dictate all the choices. Mm -hmm. Correct. So what they're doing in hiring, choosing designers, is actually just finding people to do their bidding. Mm -hmm. So these are the kinds of collaborations that we are trying to avoid. So if you as a choreographer have extremely specific ideas about exactly how you want your piece to look, you're not looking for designers. Mm -hmm. You just need people who are experienced makers mm -hmm. to oversee the creation of your ideas. Mm -hmm. So for you as a choreographer who have very specific ideas, you should develop your own practice of trying to visualize those ideas, right. either by drawing them or magazine tear sheets, but do not bring those to designers. Let me tell you what, it's truly torture for us to have those conversations with people. I am also, for those of you who aren't here, I'm living for this moment that I am well acquainted with, with Reed of uh, his next Real Red. And, uh, <laughs> and and he is giving me the full Sagittarius effect of full fire sign realness. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, and to, to put words to terms to that, that is the difference between design and production. Yeah, just for we're trying They're to separate. educate here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. the sec uh, this this leads right into the second part of the education. Sorry, Jean Marc. No, it's a well, this is this is where we are. Well, in we're a, all designers. Right. Can, mm. can consider you as designer, your maker and a designer. I'm a maker. I mean, I'm not yeah. really a designer in the way that I interface with Reed and Harriet is, and it's how I interface with everyone who works with me, is these mm -hmm. things come in, in visions. Mm -hmm. I do not feel, and I don't, I feel that my job is to get out of the way for the visions to come through. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if they're actually good or not to be published mm -hmm. or performed. Mm -hmm which means that I have a dramaturg or these different people who are like, that's not good. Mm -hmm. That also, as you were saying, Jean-Marc helps me either fight for it or let mm -hmm. it go or let it change. Mm -hmm. But in terms of how I've interfaced with the two of you in terms of costume design is I have images that come through in certain words, but I don't say exactly how it should look. Mm -hmm. Right. No. Because I'm not a costume designer. Mm -hmm. Like when Jeremy made the set for Everything's Imaginable, I was like, truly like, I don't know. <laughs> and then he made this one thing and I was and then he was talking about a model that might appear mm -hmm. and we had a psychoanalytic discussion about what models mean. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's how it was birthed. Mm -hmm. But to say that I'm the in terms of the choreography, I I put it through my body and then because I work with dancers who are way better than I am, they have more facility in how far the range of that movement goes. Right. 
but that's anyhow go to right. it. I just you to talk about where I come from as I a maker. I want a vest with no, like no. you don't say things well, like that. Say that. You're very good about saying like sometimes you know color, sometimes you know form, and you'll mm-hmm. say I want fringe, mm-hmm. but you right. don't go farther than that. No. Mm-hmm. Which is very important no. to us. Yeah. Well, and so. also, I think psychically, I mean, it's all like crystal ball work for me or shamanism or right. being a psychoanalyst. It's much, It's far more about grabbing right. onto certain mm-hmm. parts of language that for me are dramaturgical for the emotional content. Where our practice and education really diverges from Jean-Marc is that we have established a precedent of being able to produce the things because mm-hmm. we've worked on these very small-scale projects where... Mm-hmm that's required mm-hmm. and I feel like you've always had yourself in a situation mm-hmm. where I don't make you don't someone else yeah. is doing it well I just couldn't I'm not a costume maker right so the delineation is really clear mm. it's like he's a designer but I have been in a situation where on meeting number one before even I know what the music is or what the show could be about or whatever I am presented with a full colored costume drawing Wow. <laughs> and what do you, are you like, why do you need me? Well, I think then the trick is to engage uh-huh. and to try to find a way to engage when you are facing a wall. and when Literally you think, a wall. Literally, and you think, so it's to find, my job then was to actually get a discussion and understand why we were there. And then in the end for that particular project, we ended up being very, very close to the reference actually, um, because it's what was needed. So I was doing the set as well, and the set was very much my uh, response mm-hmm. to the things in conjunction with that particular choreographer, but I think maybe if I was just doing costumes, it would have been an issue, saying, yeah. why am I doing this? Right. Um, <gasps> just have things to learn from Sean Mark. Nothing to learn from him. That's not true. <laughs> Nothing. So I'll let Harriet speak on this, but I feel like maybe we should illuminate people as to why costumes are expensive. Oh, for for us, for just anybody. like in general. Yeah. In general, why is a costume expensive? Well, okay. So the, the first part of that is the design portion, right? Which is it's a job in itself, mm-hmm. and that and then there's the production por- portion. And basically, when you're asking for a costume, you're asking for a custom-made garment. It's so couture. It's yeah. it really is. It is it made is. for a specific person. Mm-hmm. There are many fittings involved. And they're supposed to be able to schwack their legs or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this and this custom-made garment takes many hours, many days, weeks, months, who knows. Right. And so when we are faced with um, the problem we, we seem to come across a lot is because there's so much fast fashion happening mm-hmm. and 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 people know that, can relate to that, right? People relate to, they know what Zara is, they know what H&M is, they know that they can buy a t-shirt. American Apparel Change Dance. They can buy a t-shirt for $5. But what we do is not the same. It's not just a garment. It's not not mass produced. It's produced in a studio in New York City Mm. by us and it's also custom fit, mm-hmm. custom fabric, and those are all sourced by us. All is that all of that is time that we are putting into this garment. And part of the confusion is that sometimes the t-shirt we made looks a lot like a t-shirt you can get at Zara. Right. So if you don't want to pay $150 for a t-shirt, go buy one at Zara. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean that. Mm-hmm. We have no interest in designing costumes for no money for you 
because this is what we do. This is our livelihood and it costs us a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of thought. And if you think that $300 is enough to get a set of costumes, mm. it is. Go to CVS <laughs> and buy a package of Hanes oh t-shirts. And there is nothing wrong with that. Mm. I am much happier to go and see a show where a costume designer has not been exploited and you have gone to American Apparel, you have gone to H&M. Spend your costume budget wisely. Don't approach costume designers with no money. Mm -hmm. If you think you're getting original costume designs, have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I mean that, and I don't mean that to be disgusting, because we are not rich. Have a you lot of money. You guys really aren't, <laughs> no. I will say, because I've definitely watched as we go through tax season together, and you're not. You're right. really, you are Do not, imagine. not even middle class, right. I would say. Oh, we're not. Nope. We're full poverty. Mm -hmm. Don't imagine you're going to get through one person, two person, three person for less than a thousand dollars a person. Not when Reed's on Medicaid, honey. <laughs> not. Oh, you're not? No. I thought you were. Never mind. Well, good. Thank At you. At least there's that. But mm. I do get a big rebate from the government because of where I sit financially. Thank right. you, Obamacare. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, just again, terms. And maybe you guys can get involved. Let's also define the difference between a designer and wardrobe. Very good. It's an interesting question. Both valuable. Mm -hmm. So, Jean-Marc, I don't think this is something you've had to go through, but <laughs> Reed and Harriet then, well, the, someone will, like, the, they'll have made the costumes and then be asked to, like, show up and, like, iron, clean them, etc. things that a wardrobe mm -hmm. shop would do. In mm -hmm. downtown dance we don't have that mm -hmm. so I mean and you've both been very generous to me in terms of generally frequently because Reed's in one of the shows so the costumes <laughs> are there and he can't bear for how they look in that moment and I clearly am like I've just got to get on stage like I don't have the best attention to the design elements I'm just emotional content we're going out so then Reed will like um steam no in that brush oh. and then brush it out you know mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> but those know. are different things. That's Being, a different job. Having, yeah, if you yeah, want, yeah. You can, and you can hire a wardrobe person. Absolutely. Also, you can like get an our relationship right. is different. That's I'm not true. talking to you right. on this podcast. Right. I'm no. talking to other people who yeah. probably aren't listening. <laughs> <laughs> we will send it to them. Uh, okay, tell me more terms, just because it's, the, we were getting we're got, turning got, into like an hour okay. and a half long. I've thing. got one for you, actually. This is great for particularly in America, the costume supervisor. So you see you're looking at me with a blank face. Blank. And it's something, so the designer designs. Mm -hmm. The costume supervisor supervises. Mm -hmm. And what is this? Is to translate the design to reality. We've had these before. It's fancy jobs like in Geneva. Especially in Europe. But mm -hmm. in America, it's amazing how people you're in companies, own. producers are like, but what do they do? So you don't come up with all the fabrics. I'm like, I choose them together with, with the, the supervisors. Supervisor. The reason to that is not because I'm lazy or I don't know what I want, it's because they have your budget, they know when your workrooms are working, yes. they know what your equity or your mm -hmm. um, scenic... Um, and they have relationships to the manufacturers, you know, there's a million... And they have a relationship to the company. The, Anyhow... Yeah. 
They know when your dancers right. can be asked right. for fittings and stuff, right. and they this is what they do. Right. Um, and that's fine. Something I find incredible in the states. Yeah. Incredible. The incredible wardrobe <laughs> costume supervisor. Get one. All right. Next term, we have to. Go, uh, sorry, the t I have to kind of speed the plow on this because then I have to go. Okay. It's two thirty-two. Do you uh, have more terms? Intellectual property is another topic. Oh, wow. It's yours. Yes. So. Um, this is also another complicated matter. If you're a choreographer, you've made a dance, we've designed the costumes, that dan dance gets reperformed, you're getting paid. Are we? Question mark. We should be. So regardless of how small that project is, we would like to be, there to be terms in the contract that we are getting repaid as are the choreographer, the musician, the scenic designer, etc. Anyone who's lighting designer, like for a different company or for the same company. For a different company, especially if the same company has gone past the length of their contract in terms of years, which is usually three to five. Yeah. The next time they perform it beyond that time, you get paid again. But mm, well, no, Jean-Marc, you don't. No. Uh, I mean, each company and each country is very different. It's very different. In Germany, they're like, no, never, none of this is Nothing. happening. <laughs> Same thing with Royal Ballet, for instance. Uh, in England, in general, actually, you've got zero royalty. If you work for a subsidized theater, um, then royalties don't exist. So you paid a fee the first time you design right. it. This is it. So they can revive your work for 25 years. You'll never see a penny from it. Um, commercial theater would be different. So you would have a royalty. Um, do musicals on Broadway, honey, if you want it. Sorry. That's, it. That's why we all I want mean, to do every them. contract is different. Traditionally, in the, in the States, mm. a ballet company yeah. will have three to five years, and then you'll start getting a little bit of money for each time they perform it. Mm. Okay. That's Other terms? Topic. Is there mm. another topic? Um, I think we, we, we got through some stuff. I mean, takeaways are what you heard on this podcast. It's really... It's... Communication is key, mm -hmm. and there's another big C, and that's called contracts. <laughs> <laughs> and I have learned as a maker to go mm. over contracts with yes. a fine-tooth comb. I do not have a manager. Mm. I do it myself, and I've learned a lot about what happens when you don't ask for what you need. Mm. For what you need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, especially when what all you have to sell is art, right? Yeah, it's very different, and it's a, it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing and a thing. Reed and Harriet, I'm so glad you keep designing for me. You just yes. have to. But You're welcome to our services. It's it's just you have to. It's just part of it's part of, it's part of the blood contract. It's part of the blood contract. Jean-Marc, what a pleasure to meet you. Likewise. That you've all got Likewise. you all got to hang out and now I'm here too. We did. We were all part of Unbound in San Francisco. In San Francisco. Big yeah. bonding experience. Oh my god. They heard all about it on the podcast. We oh, did. Yeah. We talked all about it. Or okay. I got to hear all about it on the podcast. <laughs> I got to hear about it. Okay. I didn't get to see it. Jean-Marc, it's been so nice to get to know you because we don't meet a lot of there's not a lot of us out there. No, no. And no. I think there's a lot of interchange for the three of you too. Yeah. I think there's another on. very important things to keep sharing with people from the profession. Yeah. We don't do that enough and because we rarely see each other. Well, New York is very isolated. Yeah, well, people the... have their heads down cuz it's you've got your hands to the grind. Yeah. I'm about to run out of here and slip into a cab. Why? Um 
work. Your work? Because you want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. my, well, we loves you. Thank we love you, everyone, for listening. We love you. We love you, John Mark. Yes. If you like something at Barney's, just buy it. Good tip. Yeah, John Mark's whole wardrobe is high-end items that he can wear for the rest of his life. <laughs> I'm not kidding. These are nice. It's no, true. just buy it, don't call us. Oh, yeah, Harriet's like, just buy it, don't call it. Well, <laughs> here's another thing that I was throwing to a mix. There's a big difference That's between... true. Okay, there's so much. Because that $500 much. dress you see at Barney's, it's going to be more expensive if we make it. <laughs> tea, honey, tea. Tea, bye.